You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll continue our new series with part two, The Heart for New Big Things. Bishop Van Moody will be breaking down the story of Nehemiah's faith in the Lord and how his open heart led to the Lord using him for new big things. Let's get started. Happy Sunday, family. It is so great to be with you today. Thank you for allowing me to come into your home and even your personal space through technology. It is always a privilege and an honor for us to come together in worship. Now, I'm super excited to share the Word of God with you on this morning. On last Sunday, we began a teaching series called New that we will be in for quite some time. Now, this series is going to be broken into different parts, but we are going to take our time and walk through this series because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have entered into a time when God is doing something new. Your mindset cannot be, let's get back to what we used to do. Instead, it should be, I want to lean into the new that God is doing. Now, last week's message was really more of a prophetic declaration that God is doing a new thing. This is what God declares in Isaiah 43. But the most disturbing thing that God also says in Isaiah 43 is, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? This verse is sobering and disturbing because what it reveals is that even though God is doing a new thing, we can miss it. We can possibly not perceive it or won't recognize it or even won't be able to take part in it if our heart is not right and particularly not open. So this is why for the next several weeks, we are going to examine what's involved in preparing for the new before we can really perceive and even participate in the new that God is doing. We must make sure that we do the work of examining our hearts. Now, we are going to look at this for the next few weeks. And then starting on Sunday, September 26th, I want to invite you to go with me on a seven-day prayer and fasting journey as we, as a faith community, prepare for the new. In fact, I've written a new seven-day prayer and fasting guide. You can go out to our Breakthrough Prayer website. You can go out to our TWC website, and there you can let us know that you're going to go on this fasting journey with us, and we're going to send you that prayer and fasting seven-day guide, absolutely free. It's a great guide that I took time to write and put together. I know that it will be a blessing to you. And if you want it, it's yours for free. Just go out to our website or our Breakthrough Prayer website. Let us know that you're going to go on this fasting journey with you, with us, and then we're going to send you that prayer and fasting guide absolutely free. Now, one of the most important ways that we prepare our hearts and our minds for the new move of God is through prayer and fasting. This is why we're doing the seven-day period of prayer and fasting, but this is also why this morning we're going to examine Nehemiah's prayer that prompted God to move in big new ways. Now, if you take a good look at Nehemiah's prayer, you will be able to see the condition of his heart. Nehemiah's heart was ready and prepared for God to do new big things. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The heart for new big things. 
You know, I love what Richard Elworth Day says in his book, Filled with the Spirit. He says, it would be no surprise if a study of secret causes were undertaken to find that in every golden era of human history, it proceeded from the devotion and righteous passion of a single individual. There are no bona fide mass movements. It just looks that way. At the center of the column, there will always be one person who knows his God and knows where he is going. Ian Bounds, in his book, Power Through Prayer, also taps into this same topic and says this. He says, we are constantly on a stretch, if not a strain, to provide new methods, new plans, new organizations to advance the church and secure enlargement and efficiency. But men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Wow. What both of these men are pointing out is that whenever God does something new and big, family, it always starts with people who have the right heart before God. God does a new thing, a big thing through Nehemiah. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. As a matter of fact, would you take a moment? Would you pray with me as we jump into this word? Our Father and our God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to study your word, to learn from your word, God, and to be equipped for this new season that we're entering into. Father, I thank you now for what you're going to say to us, and I pray that you would do the work of preparing our hearts. Till the soil, Lord, so that we can not miss you, but participate with you in the new. Father, I thank you for every home that's watching us. I thank you for every person whose heart is open to receive your word. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, family, after the Israelites returned to Jerusalem from Babylonian captivity, the city has been demolished, so they have to rebuild. Now, this is a major undertaking. And the first thing that the people begin to rebuild are the places for them to live because their houses and their towns have been totally destroyed. So in this rebuilding process, they first decide that we need a place to live. The only problem with this is that since they started rebuilding their homes first, they were not able to address the larger issues of the city. You know, so often we only focus on our immediate needs and at the same time ignore the bigger things that God wants to do. The bigger thing for the Israelites at that time was that they had yet to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem, which made them very vulnerable for an attack. Without walls, anybody could just come into the city, attack the people, and even tear down what they were trying to rebuild. The, the new thing that God wanted to do was rebuild the fortified walls around the city of Jerusalem in order to make sure that his people were protected and cared for. God saw in Nehemiah that his heart was right and ready for God to do a new big thing. So God used Nehemiah to lead this massive building project and get this, what should have taken years and years to do, God did through Nehemiah in 52 days. Listen to me. For some of you, this new thing that God is doing, he is going to do it quickly if your heart is right and if you're ready. 
It's not going to take nearly as long as most people think. God is going to expedite the blessing. He is going to expedite the expansion and the influence and the increase. But he's looking for people like Nehemiah who have the right heart, the right attitude, and the right mentality so he can work through them. You see, Nehemiah's heart and attitude and even his mentality, you see it in his prayer. So join me. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, and let's take a a good look at this. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Keslev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great An awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Now, family, these 11 verses are the entire first chapter of the book of Nehemiah, and they reveal his heart. This is what you must see. If this wasn't right first, if his heart wasn't right first, none of the new big things that you read about in the rest of the book of Nehemiah would have happened. If Nehemiah's heart was not right, that would have prevented God from moving in new big ways. And if it sounds like I keep repeating myself, it's because I am. You are on the precipice of God doing some new things and moving in some incredible ways. But your heart has to be right first. Some of you are thinking, well, Bishop, what do you mean my heart has to be right? What do you mean? Well, well, can you elaborate more, be more specific? Yes, I can. Let's take a look at Nehemiah's heart that is revealed through his prayer. You see, from the very beginning, Nehemiah had a heart, number one, of conviction. Nehemiah had a heart of conviction. 
The first part of Nehemiah's prayer was a prayer of conviction. It's, it's a prayer of conviction around who God is. The first thing Nehemiah did was he acknowledges who God is. He acknowledged God and his greatness. This is why he says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Nehemiah is saying, God, I know our situation is a mess. But I'm just reminding myself that you're still in control. I, I know that the problems over there in Jerusalem may be great, but I know you are greater. You're bigger. You're bigger than the mess. You're bigger than broken down walls and COVID and economic challenges. He's saying, God, I know who you are. In these two verses, Nehemiah actually says three things about God. He says, number one, you're great. That's about God's position. He says, number two, you're awesome. That's about God's power. But then number three, he says, you keep your promises. He's saying, God, you are a covenant keeping God. Nehemiah is saying, God, first and foremost, before I ask you for anything, I am expecting you to answer this prayer simply because of who you are. You are faithful. You are faithful God. You are a great God. You are a loving God. You are wonderful God. You can handle this problem, God. I know you can. Nehemiah is saying, God, I want you to do something new and I want you to do something big because I know who you are. And family, if you have this conviction of how great and awesome God is and that he is a God that keeps his promises, then you really ought to expect God to do something new and something big. If, if all you are looking for God to do is what he's already done in the past, can I tell you something? That is an insult to the greatness and awesomeness of God. If you don't believe the promises of God, you are in essence saying, God, you are a liar. This is why, family, that famous chapter on faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying this, if you're going to approach God, you have to believe him, but not just believe him. You ought to believe big because he rewards those who seek him, who, who look to him, one translation says, who expect him to move. Family, your faith, your expectation gives God room to move. Great faith, great expectation gives God great room to move. Little faith, little expectation gives God little room to move. But here's the thing, no faith. No expectation gives God no room to move. You know, I really think that our great and awesome God often gets claustrophobic in our lives because of our small thinking. Nehemiah has conviction that God is going to move. He says, God, I believe you. I believe that you are going to move because of who you are. You are faithful. You are loving. You are merciful. You, you are promise-keeping God. You know, family, on the dashboard of, of our cars, there is a fuel gauge that lets you know whether your car is full of fuel or nearing empty. Well, 
on the dashboard of our lives, we don't have a fuel gauge, but we do have a faith gauge. And God has already revealed to me that for some of you, the light is on because you are almost on empty. And here's how you can tell. When, when I'm talking about right now, God doing something new and something big, if your response is, yes, God, I receive it, then, then your faith gauge is high, right? You're full of faith. But, but if your response is, okay, Bishop, okay, Lord, all right, this sounds great, but I don't really know. I've been here for a long time, or things have been this way for quite some time, and I really don't believe that anything else is ever going to change. If that's your heart, if that's your mentality, then that means that you're approaching E. And a part of my assignment for you this morning is literally to help refuel you because when you know who God is, your, your, your faith gauge ought to be full, ought to be high because God is a promise keeping awesome God. Notice that Nehemiah, when he heard about what was happening in Jerusalem, he didn't respond and say, oh, that's really bad, but you know, things have been burned and well, I guess we just need to pray for them and maybe one day things will turn around. He didn't say that. He didn't say, oh, wow, that's really messed up. Well, but you know, it's been that way. They were in exile for 70 years and so what should we expect? It's been this way for 70 years, so I guess it's going to stay that way. He didn't respond that way. He, he, he had a burden and he approached God and said, now God, even though the city has been burned and demolished for 70 years, I know who you are. And I know that you can turn it around and do something new and big because he had a heart, number one, of conviction. But then number two, Nehemiah had a heart of confession. Take a closer look at verse six and seven of Nehemiah one. Meet me back in verse six and seven. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Here it is. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands or the decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. See, the reason the Israelites ended up in exile in the first place and the reason Jerusalem was destroyed was because they were not faithful to God. And as a result, God speaks over and over and over again through prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And he says over and over and over again, all right, y'all, all right, now, if you don't obey me, you're going to lose the land of Israel, your, your homeland, this blessed place, this land flowing with milk and honey is going to be desolated and destroyed. And sure enough, that's what happened. They lost it. They lost it because they did not obey God. They lost their city. They lost Jerusalem, the blessed place. They lost their temple. And they ultimately were taken into foreign captivity for 70 years, all because they disobeyed God. So the first thing we see with Nehemiah is this great conviction. He says, God, you are a great God. You are awesome. You keep your promises. I know you can turn this around. But then the second thing we see is confession. He says, Lord, we've sinned. 
And when you go back and look at verses six and seven, pay attention to how many times he uses the word I, I've sinned or we've sinned. He says, I confess my sins. He says, myself and even my father's house. He says, we have acted wickedly. We have not obeyed. He doesn't say they did it. He says, we did it or I did it. Now, here's the thing. It really wasn't Nehemiah's fault that they went into Babylonian captivity. Most scholars agree that Nehemiah wasn't even born when the exile happened 70 years earlier. Nehemiah was most likely, most biblical scholars agree, Nehemiah was most likely born while they were in Babylonian captivity. Yet he is including himself in the national sins. He literally says, even though he was not born during the time that Israel rebelled against God and wasn't faithful to God that caused them to go into Babylonian captivity, he wasn't even around then. But yet he says, I have been part of the problem. Family, this is critical to understand because there is a need for personal confession, but there is also a need for national confession or another way to describe this is corporate confession. Now, this is something that we don't talk about. We, we don't have a corporate sense in America today because we are so individualistic. And the truth is, we don't like to talk about things like the confession of sins. That's not popular. People don't line up to go to a conference on confessing sins. But even if we do confess our sins, you know what we do? We only focus on our own stuff. When was the last time that you confessed the sins of our nation or the sins of your family or the sins of your church or the sins of your friends or the sins of your coworkers or your neighbors. When was the last time that you did that? Probably never or a long time ago. Why? Because we don't think that way. We're very individualistic. Our society has taught us incorrectly this concept that you're only responsible for you. And that's just not true. You and I are our brothers and sisters keepers. This is one of the early lessons that God teaches us in the book of Genesis. In Genesis four, when Cain kills Abel, God punishes Cain because he was only concerned about his life, but God holds him responsible for the life of his brother as well. See, we often think what other people do, that's their business. So we will literally observe people in sin. We will watch other people do all manner of wrong and we will just dismiss it or ignore it. Now, listen, I'm not saying that it is our responsibility to intervene in every wrong that people commit. The point here, though, is that the sin of others ought to bother us. It ought to weigh heavily on our hearts and cause us to intervene in a very special way with prayer and confession. Even if those individuals don't want to receive anything that we have to say, we ought to take their sin and their issues to God in prayer and confess not only our stuff, but their stuff as well. This is why in Ezekiel 22, God says before he allows Jerusalem to be destroyed, he says, listen, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. He says, but I found no one. 
God is saying when the Israelites were doing all of these horrific and crazy and foolish things, he said, I literally looked around the city for somebody else that cared for, for, for one individual that was standing in the gap and, and confess the sins for the nation that was standing in the gap and care about more than their own stuff. And God says, I couldn't find anybody. Everybody was only concerned about their own stuff. And so I destroyed the city. But that's the same question that God is asking today. Do we care? Do, do we care about more than our own stuff? Do we care about what's happening in our communities? Do we care about what's happening in our country? Do we care about what's happening in our world? Do we care about stuff that's happening outside of the, of the address of the home that you live in? Do we care? He says, I'm looking for people right now who will stand in the gap and not only pray, but confess the sins, not only of their stuff, but of the country their friends, their family members, their neighbors. The truth is, y'all, we're in this thing together. Not only does our individual sin affect us, but we are also impacted by the sins of others. And you know what? One of the most critical things that reveals the condition of our heart is whether or not we recognize our own sin and are willing to confess it, as well as whether or not we recognize the sins of others and are willing to confess that as well. Nehemiah says, not only do I have personal sin to confess, but I've got corporate sin to confess. He says, I I'll accept the blame, God, for all of the other stuff that people have done because he recognizes that our destiny is connected. Because Nehemiah had a heart of conviction. He had a heart, number two, of confession. But then thirdly, he had a heart of confidence. See, the next thing that, that, that his prayer revealed about Nehemiah's heart was that he had a heart of confidence. I love it in verse 8. Nehemiah says, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah is, is saying, God, listen, I've got confidence in your promise that no matter how bad we have messed this stuff up, if we would repent, you promise to restore us and do new and big things through us. Lord, I thank you for your word. Family, I got to pause there for a moment because that is good news. Listen, I know we don't like to talk about confession and repentance, but the good news is that even when we've messed it up, even when we have dropped the ball, even when we made egregious mistakes, when we repent, and repentance means to turn away from the sin and to turn to God. The good news is that when we repent, God promises to restore. God promises to do a new thing. Family, please don't miss this. No matter how messed up things are, if we repent, God promises to restore. God promises to do a new thing. And you can take this promise and you can apply it to any area of your life. God can restore your marriage. God can restore your money. God can restore your family. God can restore your sanity. God can restore your peace. He promises to do it if we repent. 
Nehemiah prays and says, God, you also promised that if we repent, you give it back to us. You, you said, God, that you would do a new thing. You know, family, this seven day season of prayer and fasting, this journey that we're going to go on starting on September 26, it's specifically designed for us to examine our lives and determine where we've drifted or where we've gotten off track. Why? So that we can repent. Why? In order for God to restore and do new big things. Nehemiah had a heart of conviction. He had a heart of confession. He had a heart, number three, of confidence. And then fourthly and finally, Nehemiah had a heart of commitment. In the last part of Nehemiah's prayer, he says in verse 10 and 11, he says, They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Here it is. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And he closes by saying, I was cupbearer to the king. This last thing that is revealed through Nehemiah's prayer family is a heart of commitment. What Nehemiah is saying is, God, I'm willing to be part of the answer. God, you can use me. God, I commit myself to be part of the solution. God is looking for people with the right heart that he can do new big things through. And having the right heart also involves a willingness to commit to God's agenda. Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king. And back then, family, that was a significant position. That, that was a position of status and influence and wealth. He was basically the right-hand man of the king, if you will. But Nehemiah is willing to leave all of that so he can go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. Here's a question. What are you more committed to? Your agenda or God's agenda? You know, in Mark 10, Jesus tells the story of of the rich young ruler. And it's a sad story because there's this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus asking, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts off by saying, well, you know, the law of Moses. And, and he pridefully says, yes, and I've kept all of those. And Jesus says, yeah, but there's one thing that you lack. He says, go and sell all of your possessions and then you'll be ready. And it says that at that, he turned and dropped his head and walked away real slow. That story is a picture of how we often approach God because the rich young ruler approached Jesus, but he had his own agenda that he cared about more. And when Jesus says, let go of that, he turned, dropped his head and walked away because he was unwilling to let go of that, which was the most important to him. It's but a picture of how often we approach God. We approach God with our own agenda and we say, God, I, I want to be used. God, I want you to do new big things through my life. But often God will say, okay, I, I will do it, but I need you to let go of your agenda. And often we do the same thing that the rich young ruler did. We turn from God, drop our head and walk away. Because what really matters more to us is our agenda instead of God's. See, Nehemiah is willing to go to Jerusalem. 
He's willing to rebuild the walls. He's willing to commit to God's agenda. This is why Nehemiah asked one of the most significant things in the final moments of this prayer. He says, now, Lord, give me success. God, I love your word. Another translation says, Lord, give me great success. Family, you need to know that this is a very powerful thing to pray when you are committed to God's agenda. Lord, give me success. See, often we pray those kinds of prayers, but the problem is we pray those prayers while we're committed to our own agenda, but there's no power when you pray that when it's only about your agenda. No, the power and the significance of that kind of prayer request only happens when you commit to God's agenda. You know, family, there are some really big new things that God has been doing behind the scenes here at the worship center for the last year and a half. And I'm going to be sharing those things with you in coming months. But you know what? Through all of this, I've been praying this prayer of Nehemiah, Lord, give us success because I recognize that all of these incredible things that we didn't even go looking for, these things are not from my agenda. These are God's agenda. These things are happening because God has an agenda in this new season. And so they are big. They are new. A lot of this stuff I've never even been a part of, never done before. But God has opened this incredible door, or doors plural. And you know what I've been praying? Lord, give us great success. God did new big things through Nehemiah. And he did it in record time. He gave Nehemiah success and favor because his heart was right. He had a heart of conviction, a heart of confession, a heart of confidence, and a heart of commitment to God's agenda. What's the condition of your heart? Are you ready for God to do new, big things? Well, family, let's get ready over the next few weeks. Let's go on this seven-day prayer and fasting journey together, and let's prepare our hearts for God to do new big things. And you know, before I close, for some of you, your first step of preparation is to open your heart to the Lord. Or if you've already done that, to get connected to a strong, open, and by open, I mean whosoever, whosoever will are welcome here at the worship center, a strong, open community that will love you and embrace you regardless of who you are, where you come from, regardless of any of the, the labels or descriptions that the world will try to put on you, that's a real community of faith. One that is inclusive instead of exclusive. That's the worship center. And so for some of you, your first step of preparation is that you open your heart to the Lord. For others of you, your second step is that you need to get connected. And that's why the worship center exists. We're here for you. And so I pray that you would make this decision now because God's got a great future in store for you and for the worship center. And I look forward to seeing it come to pass. Take care, family. See you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Bishop Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.